0: Our scripture this morning comes from Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? He said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. But they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Father in heaven, on this road to Emmaus, these two followers of Christ were instructed by Jesus and Jesus opened the word to them. And we pray right now that you would do the very same thing for us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. You would open our hearts and our minds and that we would be made different because of this means of grace. Holy Spirit, your work in our lives drawing us to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke is the gospel writer in which this narrative comes from. Luke was a physician. And at the beginning of the gospel, if you turn to Luke 1, he gives a very specific purpose statement for the gospel that he is about to write. The purpose of This gospel was to give an orderly account to an individual named Theophilus. And Theophilus, he was given this account by Luke so that he could have reason for the hope that he had. And Luke tells Theophilus, and therefore us, that he is going to use eyewitness accounts to prove these things about Jesus. So for this holy week, we have been looking through the eyes of those in this gospel narrative. And we come to these final two witnesses, Cleopas and an unnamed traveler. Cleopas and this unnamed traveler have been in Jerusalem and have been a part of and witnessed the gory events that took the life of Christ, the mock trial, the crucifixion. And now they have heard that the body of Christ is no longer in the tomb. So I want this morning to talk about these travelers And then I want to talk about the stranger. And then interestingly, I want to talk about the table. So here we have these travelers. There are two, Cleopas and the unnamed. And Cleopas and this unnamed traveler are heading back to their home. If you read the text closely, you can see the disposition of the travelers. We are told that they are sad. We are told uh, essentially that they're confused. We are told that they are amazed especially as they encounter the stranger that he wouldn't know about these events we can sense from the narrative that they're disappointed because they wanted jesus to set them free free from rome and now he's dead and his body's gone we also learn from the text that these two followers of jesus are full of doubt and they're blind now they're not physically blind But as the stranger comes on to the picture, they can't tell it's Jesus. Their eyes are kept from seeing. I love this story. And for many, it's a familiar story. This morning, I want to try and help you enter into the story by seeing that this is an event in history that actually happened. In other words, there are two people, one named Cleopas, the other one unnamed, who were walking on a road towards their home. Their home was in Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. That means at a normal pace, it would be just under two hours to walk there. These two people created by God are walking on the earth that God created. And for a a little while at least, they have been excited. Their hearts actually have been burning for this person Jesus, this revolution. They were swept up in the reality of what, what they thought Jesus was about. But now, all of a sudden, he has gone through this trial. There has been a a massive transition. He has been given this awful death, this sentence. His body was taken off the cross. He was put in the tomb. And they tell us that even this morning, the morning of which they're walking, some of the women have said, he's not in the tomb. They're so overwhelmed with doubt and discouragement and sadness that they don't even stick around to see If it's true, they simply do what they think the next best thing is to do, and that is to go home. But I want you to picture them walking along this road, dejected, perhaps scared, sad, discouraged, confused, all of it. Can you see their posture? We know they're talking because the stranger tells us so. I'm not sure because the text doesn't tell us Tell us how many other people were on that road. But you know that day, all the roads leading to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem were full of people. So there were conversations taking place on many different roads. Some of those roads full of travelers were like Cleopas and this unnamed traveler. They too believed in Jesus. I imagine they too were sad, disappointed, confused, filled with doubt. Then there were others who weren't. They are the enemies of Jesus. They're delighting in what took place. He got what he deserved. Who did he think he was? And then there's a crowd. The crowd is the middle group and it's big. It's made up of many people who, who just a few days before on another road cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, only later to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! And they're having a conversation, I'm sure, too, about these events that took place in Jerusalem. Some might have said, We have just witnessed injustice. What did this man do to deserve this kind of death? Others, again, no, he got what he deserved. Some probably had already heard that the body was gone, and they began to ask the question, where do you think it is? Who do you think took it? While some might have said, I feel so sorry for those guards. Do you know what's going to happen to them? Others might have said things like, can you believe they let Barabbas free? I wonder where he is. And some might have said, who cares about Jesus? Why does all of this matter anyway? Nobody at least not in this narrative tells us of any other travelers but we can imagine by piecing together what people were saying and how they were responding that that's what was taking place. And thousands of years later on different roads on this very day conversations about Jesus his life his death his resurrection are taking place right now. Some are leaving church are going to church Like Cleopas, they're deeply devoted to Jesus. They're here, they're in other churches, they're longing to worship their God. They may, if they're honest, be disappointed in Jesus at times, confused about Christ, but they believe in him. Then there are others who aren't going to go to church. They're annoyed by Christ or angry about the person of Christ or just indifferent. Who cares, what point does it make? What relevance does this God or this person, even if he existed, what bearing is it on my life? And those people have thoughts about Jesus too. Some are in churches just to make a relative or a friend content and happy. And certainly others don't see the point in even going. That's how people treat Jesus. What about you? What is your conversation like? About Jesus. What road are you on? Though there are many travelers, we only meet one in this text besides the strangers, or besides the two. And it is a stranger, and his name is Jesus. Let's talk about the stranger for a moment. The first thing we know about the stranger is important. Because it sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Luke tells us through the account of the eyewitnesses that Jesus, the stranger, the man, draws near. Christianity is about God drawing near to his people more than it is about his people drawing near to him. He initiates. Don't miss this. These two downcast, sad, confused, disappointed followers of Jesus are met by Jesus as they are leaving the scene where he died and was buried, and now his body is missing. Jesus moves towards them. Now watch what happens. They can't see that it's Jesus. They're blind. Not physically, but they can't tell it's him, which means Jesus looked different He has this resurrected body. And Jesus enters into the scene onto the road as a fellow traveler. He hears what they are talking about. And then Luke records. Look with me back at Luke 24, verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, this is a familiar passage for many, so picture it. These two individuals, children of God, created by God, followers of Jesus, are walking, talking about what just happened to Jesus, and now Jesus, they can't see that it's him, suddenly appears, and he asks the question, what are you talking about? Verse 17, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. In other words, when they met Jesus, they stopped. And Luke tells us they look sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him and he said this, are you the only person? Are you the only one visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? Isn't that amazing? What things? These things happened to him. They killed him. They put him on a cross. They beat him beyond recognition. They gave him a mock trial. This is in history, not just in the Bible. This is what happened. And Jesus says, What things? And these sad two sojourners said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, there it is, we had hoped. That he was the one to redeem Israel. Oh, he is. But they don't see the same thing. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of these, or some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And now there's a transition. There's always transitions in these stories of rescue. There's always transitions in the story of redemption. And here a transition begins. This stranger who asks, what are you talking about? What things listens to their explanation of what actually happened to Jesus and what their hope was in Jesus. And then Luke tells us, Jesus speaks and he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is important. This is so important. Jesus, when he rebukes them for their lack of faith and things that they had heard before but they couldn't put the pieces together, Jesus says, Don't you understand? It had to happen to him. They don't know him as him, it had to happen. This is what had to happen in order for God's people to be redeemed. This savior, this Messiah had to suffer. He had to be crucified. He had to take on the sin of the world. He had to take on the wrath of the Holy Father because that's the only way justice would be served. There had to be a sacrifice. But what Jesus does, which is amazing and so important for us today, is he goes straight to the word of God. Do you see that? The Bible tells us that the first thing Jesus does is he opens up the scriptures. Now many people think that Jesus is really just in the New Testament, that the good news about Christ starts in Matthew, but it's not true. Matthew at this point had not been written. Mark had not been written. Luke had not been written. John had not been, none of the Old Testament had been written. So Jesus goes back into the Old Testament scriptures because that's where Jesus starts. And Jesus going all the way back to Moses and the prophets, and later we'll see even the Psalms, talks about how essentially all the scriptures are pointing to him. They are all about this one true God, this one true Savior. Now imagine, Jesus is walking with these two individuals and he is giving them essentially one-on-one time as he expounds the word of God. Do you know why that's important? Because Jesus is showing us that he presents himself through his holy word. He shows us that there is an authority called his word that we can stand on. In fact, historically, Protestant theologians have identified four distinct attributes of the Word of God. Here they are necessity, sufficiency, clarity, and authority. Let me talk about those for just a minute. We believe that the Word of God is necessary for us as God's people to know how to live and how to be saved. In other words, God ordains the means by which people are saved. And one of the means of grace that he has given us is his holy word. Not just Matthew through Revelation, but Genesis through Revelation. For all of God's word is God-breathed. So we believe that it's necessary for people to have the word of God in order to be saved. Jesus is the word of God, John tells us. Secondly, scripture is sufficient And what that means is that we have been given this book, all of it, and it's sufficient. We don't need added revelation. We don't need progressive revelation. We don't need new things to come to this to give us more inspiration. Everything that we need is sufficient in and of this text. It's all here. Third, it's clear. Now, there are things in the Bible that aren't clear. There are things that cause theologians to scratch their heads. There's things that you look at and go, I'm not sure how to make sense of this, but the essential reality of the gospel, the core of the gospel, what it means to be saved by God's grace and for his glory, justified by faith, sanctified by grace, it's all there. Anyone that longs to understand it can understand it. Fourth, it has authority. What that means is that this stands above all earthly authority. The day that me or another pastor begins to chunk this out the window is a day you should be extremely nervous because now what's happening is you're only getting my opinion or another's opinion instead of what the word of God says. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is talking to Cleopas and this companion, this fellow traveler, and he's going to the word of God. And as he goes to the word of God, through the word of God, he's presenting himself to them. Okay, we'll see see why in a minute. So the word of God is important. As Jesus opens the word of God to them, he's beginning to open up something else. Three other things. Their hearts, their minds, and their eyes. So we find ourselves at the table. Roughly an hour and a half maybe has passed. Jesus... The word of God has been opening the word of God. And suddenly their trip comes to an end. It's dark, getting dark. They're near the end. They're at their house. And what happens? Do you notice? They want more of this stranger. Literally, the Greek means that they are pressing this individual, this stranger, to come into their home. We want you to stay with us. So now the stranger is no longer a stranger, but he's becoming a guest. And so they invite this stranger into their home. And they find themselves at their table. I want you to listen for a minute about tables. Tables are a big part of the Christian faith. And tables are a big part of all of our lives together, aren't they? In a book titled With Burning Hearts, Henry Nouwen talks about the significance of the table. Listen as I read. The table is the place of intimacy. Around the table, we discover each other. It's a place where we pray. It's a place where we ask, how was your day? It is the place where we eat and drink. And together we say, come on, have some more. It is the place of old and new stories. Some of you are going to be around the table in just a little bit a great spread, stories will be told. It's beautiful, isn't it? I can't wait. But the table, too, is the place where distance is most painfully felt. It is the place where the children feel the tension between their parents, where brothers and sisters express their anger and jealousies and selfishness, where accusations are made and sometimes even where plates and cups become instruments of violence. Around the table, we know whether there is friendship and community or hatred and division. Precisely because the table is the place of intimacy for all the members of the household, it is also the place where the absence of that intimacy is most painfully revealed. When on the evening before his death, Jesus came together with his disciples around the table, he revealed both intimacy and distance. He shared the bread and the cup as a sign of friendship, but he also said, look, here with me on the table is the hand of the man who is going to betray me. How many mills did those 12 disciples share with Jesus? And what was it like in that room when Jesus spoke those words? Judas would betray Christ. The mock trial would begin. But every one of them, one way or another, would betray Christ. And so isn't it amazing so often that redemption is seen around a table or around a meal. Peter said three times, I don't know the man. And then Jesus meets him on the shoreline with breakfast. Peter, do you love me? Three times. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. It's amazing. And so here's Cleopas and the other traveler And Jesus is with them at their table. They have invited him in as their guest. But now watch what happens. The guest surrender the bread. I'm sorry, the host surrender the bread to the guest. And Jesus, the guest becomes the host. And Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And when he breaks it, their blindness is broken. Suddenly they see, it's him. It's Jesus, and then poof. Poof isn't in the Greek. (laughs) But we're told he vanishes. This really happened. Jesus, he's alive, he's resurrected. They're walking along this road with him. He's expounding scripture to them. And then he breaks the bread. And as he breaks the bread... Their eyes are opened and they see that it's him. Now, what I want to pay attention to for a few more minutes is what they say next. Look with me. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, I really want you to listen to this. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Their hearts did burn. If you're a Christian, it is because at some point in your life, your heart began to burn when someone was opening up the word of God to you. Now your passion for the Lord certainly can be hotter some days than other others each day with Jesus is not necessarily sweeter than the day before but what I want you to see that if God had never set your heart on fire as it comes to his word you would never have believed and this is what the Lord does have you've heard of the four C's of purchasing a diamond how many you have heard of that Come on. (laughs) Color, cut, clarity, and carrot. Why there's not a fifth C called cost, I don't know. (laughs) I want to give you the four C's of a heart that begins to burn as the words exposed. First, curiosity. If you are are beginning to be curious about the word of God and specifically the words of Jesus, it's possible that there is a flame beginning to burn. Some people deny the reality of Christ. They find him to be just completely indifferent to their life. I want to encourage everyone, if that's where you are, to at least explore what Jesus said about himself. So often people make judgments based on things other people have said about Jesus. What I think think is amazing about what Jesus did is he went to the scriptures and said, this is what they say about me. Before you deny Christ, I think you owe it to yourself because of the significance of who he is in history to hear what he said about himself. Hearts began to burn for the Lord and his word with curiosity. Curiosity, if that heart continues to warm, moves towards clarity. You begin to see things that you hadn't seen before. The story of the history of redemption recorded in this Bible begins to have more clarity than it did. That curiosity leads to clarity. Clarity leads to conviction. It leads to the thought that this this speaks truth about the world we live in. This speaks truth about the condition of my heart. I now understand what the word sin means, that I'm separated from God. And suddenly, as that conviction grows, something else happens. A confidence swells, and maybe there's a fisty, I guess. A craving is born. And you see those elements in the life of these two travelers. This strange man comes in and says, what are you talking about? What things And then after they go through their explanation of what took place, Jesus then begins to expound scripture and they're curious. And as he speaks, things are being made more clear. And as things are being being made more clear, their hearts beginning to warm and the conviction is growing. And then as he breaks the bread, symbolizing his body that was broken just a few days before, there is a craving that sits in. The craving had begun a little bit before when they pressed him to come into their house. But now they see him, poof, he's gone. And what do they say to each other? Did not our hearts burn while he was walking with us, opening up the scriptures? That's what Jesus does. He opens up the word of God. He opens up our hearts. He opens up our minds. Then he opens up our eyes. And once they saw that it was Jesus, And all that he said must happen has happened. He's gone. So what do they do? There's action. There's a transition. The transition moves towards an action of they they themselves rising up from the table. And now moving back seven miles to Jerusalem. Imagine the differences in the journeys. Jesus is not walking beside them now but they're racing to tell the 11 what they have seen. And when they get there, they too see Jesus. Jesus enters in, communicates with those two and the disciples, I believe they were present. And Luke, near the end of his gospel, says this. It's Jesus speaking. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, Scripture, in the law of Moses, And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Why do you think Jesus said, it is finished? It was fulfilled. Then he, Christ, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And it's still happening. Where are you on the road? What will the conversation sound like in your heart and mind and around your table today? What will you say about Jesus? Has your heart burned for him? Have you been curious And then seen his word and it became clear. Have you had the conviction that it is true? And now an increased craving? Praise God. Maybe today that's starting. You came as a man or a woman somewhat indifferent. But suddenly there's something happening. If that's happening to you, talk to the people around you. And begin the journey. Jesus... Draws near to those who doubt. Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted. Jesus, according to Luke, ends by speaking about the promised Holy Spirit. Now, currently, the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates the word for us, He's the one who opens our minds, our hearts. Our eyes. Have your eyes been opened? Do you see? If not, and you long to, pray now to the one who draws near and trust that he will open you up to him. Jesus. I'm grateful that I am not tasked with making things up, but with simply pointing to the truth of your holy word and standing on it. Many here today, Lord, have sensed your work in their life, that work of you opening them up, and we praise you for that. I pray that we would be like what the choir just sang, so deeply in love with you, And we would pray, let me never outlive my love to thee. But Lord, today there might be people here who are just beginning to be curious. I pray that that is you fanning that flame and that they would come to believe as you open their eyes to see all the things that the scripture says about you, that you are the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The one in whom we are saved from our sins the one who rescues us for all eternity. Oh God, do the work that only you can do. Set our hearts on fire. In Jesus' name, amen.